Hi, this is Lisa Borders, and on this podcast, I'll connect with people from all walks of life, sharing stories of overwhelming adversity, transmuting the shadow, and experiencing moments of illumination. We'll be reflecting on the lessons we're learning all along the way to fulfilling our potential, but also being our most authentic selves. If you feel inspired by what you hear, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the community at lisaborders.us. Thank you for joining me, and this is Enlightened. Today we have a treat. I have the opportunity to talk with my good friend, Sue Bird. For those of you who don't know who this chick is, this is a bad girl. She is a WNBA champion times four. She's an NCAA champion times two. She's a FIBA World Cup champion times four. And girlfriend is an Olympian times four. Now, what I notice about all these championships, outside of the fact that she's simply amazing to have won all of them, they were all done on even years. I'm going to ask her about all of that, but I am so excited to have an opportunity to just spend a little time with Sue. It's been a minute. Sue, how are you? What's good? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm so delighted to have this opportunity. You and I have spent some time together. I met you through the WNBA when I had the privilege of leading it. You were playing point guard then, girl, you still play a point guard on every team. So I absolutely love that. But let's go all the way back because you're from New York, right? Yep. Let's go all the way back to high school when you were like balling. Ball was for sure life. And you made the decision to go to UConn. You're part of that big Husky legacy. Tell me how you made that decision. Were you trying to stay close to home or was it all about basketball? How did you, or was it a combination? How'd you make that decision? So the end of the story is Connecticut just felt right. It was in my bones. It was in my heart. In my little world, the, the famous story is Connecticut was always number one when I was getting recruited, but I did visit Stanford. I did visit Vanderbilt. You got to see the different options, see what's out there. And those two schools, especially Vanderbilt, actually kind of snuck in. Ah. Yeah. And so the famous story is I had my, my high school coaches, you mentioned I'm from New York. I went to Christ the King, which is like a hotbed for, for women's basketball players. Shamika Holdsclaw, Tina Charles. I could go on. Yeah. So they had a lot of experience and they basically said, okay, pick a day, let's call it November 1st. And you want to just make your decision by that day. They thought that was like a good thing to give myself a deadline. So right. it was like October 31st. And I was on the phone with coach Ariama and he was like, how are you feeling? Cause he knew I was going to decide soon. And I was like, I was like, my heart is saying Connecticut. I was like, but my head is a little confused. Like I'm, these other schools are in there. And, I'm, and he basically was like, I think you should follow your heart. Let me know. And, and, hang <laughs> up. and I was like, that's it. But he was right. He was right. So as it turns out, following my heart is what led me there. So it wasn't that it was close to home, but that was a benefit. And it wasn't that like I could rattle off a bunch of things. It wasn't all these different reasons, but they were benefits. Once I got there, I realized, but it was really just, this is what felt right in my bones. This is where I belonged. 
Wow. That is so Gino though, to make a statement like that and hang up, but he's got like a whole legacy going on there and a myriad of folks who've come out like yourself out of the Yukon dynasty, if you will. I think Yukon still has the most players in the W who are alums from Yukon. So I know you guys are like super proud of that. You get drafted to Seattle and you've played your entire career or are playing your career in Seattle for WNBA championships under the belt. Somebody say amen. Sue is a bad girl leading this team. Tell me about your first year. If you remember how it felt to get drafted and get the Jersey and go from one part of the country to another. And now how many years are we in Sue? 19 Uh years. I think, yeah, we're knocking on 20, aren't we? Wow, loving it. But I 100% remember my draft night, of course. And like I knew Seattle had the number one pick and I I knew that there was a good chance I was going to get selected first. So I, I was prepared, but then simultaneously, not until I was flying out to Seattle was I like, oh my God, this is far. Like I could have gone to Spain quicker. <laughs> this is far. So it was a bit of culture shock. New York and New York, even Connecticut are, are different from the West Coast. The pace of life, just the way they live in the Pacific Northwest is different. So that was a little bit of a shock. But being on the court, the, the best part was getting on the court. That was basketball. Basketball mm-hmm. was basketball. So I always had that. But there was an adjustment. And this is definitely a personality trait that I, I figured out pretty quickly. When I get comfortable, I mean, even in Russia, I'm sure we'll get to my Russia experience at some point. Like even when I was playing in Russia, away from my family, away from my friends, missing people, wanting to get the hell out. When the season would end, I'd be like, I'm a little sad. I don't want to leave. When I get comfortable, I don't want to leave. So it's not about better or worse. It's just comfort. So clearly I was comfortable in Connecticut. I was comfortable in New York. So coming to Seattle was leaving all that. And that's where like a lot of my homesick, the homesickness that I did feel, that's where it lived. But once I started to venture out, get used to the city, obviously make some friends by year two, and and it took, it was year three that I ended up buying a home. But by my second year, I was looking, I was talking about it. And then by year three, I had a home here. So it all worked out, obviously. Wow. Talk about following your heart. So you get drafted, but you fall in love with Seattle. You fall in love with the franchise and then you're like, I'm in it to win it. (laughs) So WNBA players play half the year in the US typically from May to late September, early October. And then the lion's share, maybe not you at this point in your career, Sue, because you're like the, you're the OG, you're the original gangsta. But Most of the players are headed to the international markets for the other six months of the year. And you mentioned Russia. Let's talk about that, the different places (laughs) where you've played and what's been, say, your favorite or what's been the country or the continent where you saw things that you were just like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. The second you step off the plane in Russia, it's just like, wow. Just everything from how people dress, the style, the fashion, to the architecture throughout the cities. You're in a place where there was war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you, you also know you're they're in a place where these there's a, a culture and, and like a population of people that have seen and experienced so much firsthand. Like even talking to some of my older at the time, so I was like 24, I think maybe 23, 24 when I first went over there, and so I had some older teammates. And communism only ended in like 1990. So I was, so they were like 15, closer to 20. And so they had actual stories of what communism was like. Like they, 
they like fully remember and lived it and talked about what the grocery stores looked like and the clothing they had to wear. So right away, you're just blown away by all of the history that, that's in these places. But luckily, we played in EuroLeague, which meant we got to travel all throughout Europe. And to this day, like I could live in Spain and I could oh, wow. live in Italy without a doubt. Some of the Eastern European countries are very similar to Russia in that you can feel the history of it. And you can in Spain and Italy too, of course, but they're a little more like Westernized and they just, I don't know, they have like the food and the wine and just how they vibe. They're so chill. They take that siesta. I'm like, but yeah, I feel so lucky that I got to experience all that. So when you decided to be drafted by the W, you said, I'm in, I want to go pro. Did you really understand that whole six month thing, six months in the US, six months across the pond or wherever? And had you ever been out of the country before? Because basketball has taken you around the world. You've done a lot of traveling, but what kind of impact did that have when you said, oh my goodness, okay, I'm only going to be here for a little while and then I got to go to this other place. And it's talk about far Seattle. It made Seattle look like Mickey Mouse. So (laughs) tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I understood that was a thing that playing overseas was a thing. And it I very quickly, I'm a comfortable person. I like to be in my comfort. Like I very quickly was like, not for me. This is really, yeah. So even in my first year out prior to that, just to answer your question really quick, I had been to some different places in college. We went on a European tour, played some games. I played for a USA basketball in college, like the younger teams. It was called the Jones cup team. We actually Taiwan. So I'd, I'd been to, yeah, so I, I'd experienced. And then even my first WNBA year was a world championship year or world cup year. And that was my first taste of the senior national team. And we were, we got to go, we were in, the tournament was in China, which was a trip. That was a, like, <laughs> now what, what year was that? So this is 2002. And like, wow. we, weren't, we weren't in the Beijings and the Shanghai, uh-uh. mm. we were in like, some cities I can't even pronounce because it's a lot <laughs> of consonants and just small towns. So it was wow. just, yeah. But we also got to go to Australia as a pre-tournament thing. So I'd been around, but still, I didn't really want to play overseas. It didn't really, I was eh. And then what happens is for me, my first year, nope, I'm good. My second year, I actually had to have surgery on my knee that kept me out. And then my third year was the year where the contract was put in front of me. And I was like, okay, I can't say no. And that's what happens to a lot of us. It's just too much money. You just can't say no. And it's to play basketball. Yes, we're in another country, but like we're playing basketball and we're getting paid like all this money. So that was the first time where I was like, yeah, I can't say no to that. (laughs) Luckily, I'd had enough friends, teammates, whatever, that I could be like, so what is this? What can I expect? What do I need to bring? Do I need to bring anything? Or do they have stuff there? What's going on? And so actually Swing Cash, my college roommate, she had played in Russia the year before I got there. And she gave me like the 411 on what to bring, what not to bring, what to expect, food, this and that and the other. And to be honest, I get that a lot of players like the comfort of their own, you know, ranch dressing is a big one to bring, (laughs) uh, their own seasonings. It makes you feel like home. For me, I'm totally cool. I go to a country, I can live off like what they have. Like I'm, I can adjust that way. Yeah. Like it's not, it's cool. Of course I had my things, but for the most part, I dive in culturally. You know what, Sue? This reminds me of you playing on the court. Like you can read the defense like nobody's business. <laughs> and I never forget the first time I saw you do a no look pass. I was like, did she really just do that? And then you like start, do- you were doing it like all the time. I was like, this is such a gift. 
But take me to your Olympic years too, because I guess playing in the W is a really good introduction to this whole travel thing and play overseas. All the Olympics are every quadrennial, so it's only every four years. And how the heck did you every four years on the even years, the women are winning the goal? Because is it six or seven in a row now? Yeah, I think it's six. Well, I think we'll be going for seven in a row. Which yeah. is crazy. But talk to me a little bit about the Olympic thing and what that, I know I was with you guys during the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, but I just got to go to one. Girl, you got four gold <laughs> medals. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that for me, there was no WNBA growing up. So that for me was it. That was like the ultimate dream. And the, the pivotal year is like 1995-96 for women's basketball. So that's right. the national team has been put together. They're going to train for an entire year leading into the Atlanta Olympics. And it's when Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, Rebecca Lobo, they're becoming household names. And I'm actually, so I'm like 14 years old. Wow. And so it's really the first time that I had the see it be it moment because Jen Azy looks, we look exactly alike. Like I get Jen Azy all the time. <laughs> we get Sue Bird all the time. Like we look very similar. <laughs> So that was my like, oh, dang, like a 5'9 white girl with, with the dark detail <laughs> is on this national team and about to play in the Olympics. That could be like, I could be that. That could be me. And so the Olympics was always the ultimate goal. I think it's great now that kids can watch the WNBA and that can be a goal. But for me, it just didn't exist. So that wow. was it. It was the Olympics. So to, to, I remember exactly, I was in a car, I was going to the airport and that's when I got the first call, my first ever call in 2004. Yeah. It was like the spring of 2004 saying like, you've made the Olympic team. Wow. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly how I felt. And from that point on, it's just, you're considered one of in the country that is the best in women's basketball, America, you're one of the 12 best in that right. year, you know? And so to constantly be able to re up, if you will, and make and continue to make teams is really just an honor in of itself. And obviously you're representing your country. I think one, one quick story I'll share that kind of really, I think, just wraps it all up for, for how I feel and how I re- like how big the Olympics was big to me. But it wasn't until this moment that I fully understood how big it was, like in the grand scheme. We've just won in Athens, so my first Olympics, and we chartered with the men back to America. And then once we landed, we all went to our separate cities on commercial flights. Mm-hmm. So I'm flying to Seattle, and I've got my gold medal in my bag because you're not checking that thing. <laughs> right your life for dear life and this is your first one right yeah my first one yeah the flight attendant is like hey are you sue bird and i was like yeah and she's did you just come from the olympics and i was like yeah and she's like do you have your gold medal on you and i was like yeah and she was like oh the pilots would love to see it stop it yes i was like okay sure and everyone always asks oh did you feel safe giving it and i was like yeah we're on a plane like (laughs) i was getting that medal back there's no (laughs) nobody was stealing this thing but before i knew it that gold medal was getting passed like up and down the aisles and like people, people just wanted to touch it, which I get. People just wanted to touch it and be a part of it. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is a big deal. This isn't just a basketball thing. This isn't even a sports thing. This is like way bigger than that. So that's when it really, I already knew it was important to me. It was the ultimate goal, but that's when it like fully hit of what we were doing when we put that jersey on. Which is incredible. I think most people may not know, because I wasn't clear on this until I became the president, that the WNBA is actually the feeder system for the Olympic team. So I didn't understand that, but I certainly understood it once I was president. I was like, 
yeah, this is a big dang deal. You've been an all-star 11 times. You've made all WNBA eight times. You've won at every level, college, professional, and then the international with the Olympics. Are there things you've learned in sports, particularly as a point guard? Because you're like the general on the floor. I have watched you with your eyes and without your eyes, with your hands, give instructions. Are there things, though, that you think translate from the court to like life in general? Oh, yeah, everything everything. Sport mirrors life in so many ways. I think for me, the biggest one is like leadership, the qualities that you need to have both in terms of when to take control, but also when to take a step back and just the balance between that. And also the balance between like, you obviously have to bring your own game to the table and play your best. And and that's not selfish. That's what your team needs. You have to bring that. So there's this balance also being selfish at times, but also when to be unselfish and try to serve your teammates and, and get the best out of them. So all the things I've learned with that, I really feel strongly about that. If you plucked me out and put me in blindfolded me, plucked me out and put me in like a corporate boardroom, it's all yeah. the same things. The conversations are different. The topics are different, but those non-tangible ways are all very similar because it's all people. So for me, the one thing I always talk about in terms of the leadership is you really have to build this equity with your teammates. You have to gain their trust. And the only way to do that is to be consistent with who you are, the good and the bad, but just be consistent so they they know they can count on you, which leads to being accountable. Hold yourself to a high standard and and, and always try to live up to that. Because then when you have that, when you've built that trust, I always joke, like, that's when you can yell at somebody. Like, that's when, <laughs> that's when you see me on the court getting up in Stewie's face, like, Stewie, you need to box out and get that rebound. Stewie's not going to be like, whatever, Sue. She's <laughs> no, it's coming from a good place because I've already built that trust. And right. so she's going to be like, yeah, you're right. I got to get that rebound. And then yeah. you can start to like really build and bring out the best in, in the people around you. And then in turn, like I said, there are times we have to take a step back and allow your teammates to lift you up. I think good leaders they have that good balance because you want to empower people. You want to keep them below you. You want them to be empowered as well to help you out. Cause I think sometimes leaders in, in, in our world, they're just, they're on this pedestal and people assume that they're okay. They're fine. They don't need help. But actually I think a lot of people at the top need just as much help. I think people at the top probably need more help. So hold (laughs) on to that thought, but let me just take you back. I don't know if you remember this. I remember a game and it was during the finals and I'm trying to remember, maybe it's 2018. I can't remember, but you were popping threes like nobody's business. We were in Seattle and then you got tired. It looked like at one point. And I remember Stewie yelling, Sue, use your legs. And the next thing I knew, you guys had t-shirts that said, Sue, use your legs. But I remember visiting you guys in the locker room, which I love doing, not just when you won, but even when you lost and you were always the OG and you really seem to have the relationship equity, which is what you're talking about, building up that trust. Does that come over time? I know you have to be consistent. You have to deliver, but most people wonder like, how do you do that? So is it incrementally or does it happen all at once? No, I think it's incrementally. I think it can't happen overnight. I think a big part of it is also being authentic to who you are. The one thing I I always say about leadership and people who are trying to carve out their own style, it's got to be your style. Because if you're trying to be someone you're not, 
we smell bullshit as humans, mm. especially this is my, one of my favorite things about sports. And I say I, I only use sports because I don't really know another world. I'm sure it exists in the other world too. But as teams, if so-and-so out of nowhere calls like a player only team meeting, which in the world of sports is a big deal for a player to call a player only team meeting to have a powwow. You're really only doing that in like stressful moment or like a serious time. It doesn't happen often. And if somebody does it, doesn't usually do those things and you can like sense that they're doing it just because they think they should, or because they're trying to show the coach they're being a leader, you can smell it. It's like, okay, that doesn't smell good. This feels weird. And you never want to be that. You want to be genuine, authentic. If you're quiet, you can still be a leader. If you're loud, you can be whatever it is in between, but you don't, you want to be yourself. So I just think that's a huge part of it. And then over time, you can, like I said, if you're consistent with that, over time is how you build that trust. It's, it's hard to rush it and it has to be real and genuine. Listen, Sue, that whole authenticity and then consistency. The last thing that I've seen constantly from you is like transparency. You always tell, you always told me and you continue to tell me exactly what you're thinking. So the authenticity, the consistency, the transparency, those leadership attributes are amazing. I want to take you back. You may not recall this, but this is one of those I'll never forget Sue moments. Something was going on in the league and I remember getting a text from you and you said, are you going to say something or what? (laughs) So I want to thank you publicly. I remember my statement was written and I was trying to decide when I was going to say something, but you were one of the players who reached out and pushed me as a leader. So let me just say, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. That support and the whole time I was at the W, but let's pull that leadership all the way to last summer when we had crazy pandemic going on. It's still going on, but not nearly as bad as it was, but it was a hot political season. And do you remember giving me a call last summer when we were talking about the U.S. Senate? Do you remember this? Of course I remember. The way things turned out and just the the small role that the WNBA has played in getting and helping Reverend Warnock do his thing. That could go down as like probably our greatest achievement. Forget the championship. So I remember. I'll never forget. It's a huge sphere of influence. It was a social engagement and civic engagement wasn't new for you guys, but like stepping into a political arena, what made you decide, okay, I've never done this before, but not only am I coming, I'm bringing the whole crew because you're the OG. So how did you make that decision? I know you call me and ask some questions, but what made you even want to call me and ask questions? Yeah, it, it was definitely ignited by Kelly Loeffler's letter to Kathy, our commissioner, talking about, you know, obviously we went to the bubble, the wobble, wanting it to be about social justice. Yes, we're playing basketball, but we were using that platform to talk about other things. And it took a lot of work to get to that point. And as a member of the executive committee for our union, the seven of us were like in the trenches and it was a lot. And, but we finally figured it out. So when we got to Florida, there was a little bit of an exhale, you know, like, oh, we're here. Mm. We knew we had a lot more to do, but like, we made it. And then boom, that letter gets dropped. And I think we all had a knee-jerk reaction, which is to like be upset, be mad, get her out of the league, yada, yada, yada. And it was actually a conversation with with another player who was like, it it wasn't a devil's advocate comment, but it was like, because a lot of people were comparing it to Donald Sterling Mm. with him in the NBA. And, And so she just was like, was it as bad as Donald Sterling? 
And like it was, but it wasn't. Obviously, she's a politician. She was very strategic in her words. So when you go back and read it, you're like, that toes the line, but doesn't quite cross it. So we had to regroup in, in these 24 hours. And part of that regroup was a conversation I had with my dad. Mm. <laughs> so funny. And he, he's like very into politics. He stays on top of things. And he basically gave me a crash course on special elections and what that meant and the runoff and what that meant and how in this one particular race, I know you guys, I know you know this, but it was everybody and their mom was in this one race, all the Republicans, all the Democrats, and how strategically it was benefiting Kelly Loeffler. I know we, for a while we didn't say her name, but I feel like now that we're past it, well, you can reference her a little bit. It was benefiting her for us to be mad. It was benefiting her to show her party and her base. Look at me stand up to these women and tell them essentially to shut up and dribble. And then it was like, wait a minute, you're telling us not to bring politics into this, but it's actually, you are bringing politics into this because now you're on Fox News getting to talk about it and you get to tweet about it and you get to say how you're defending the flag and whatever else she was saying. So that's when it was like, oh, dang, we got to be quiet. We actually have to be quiet. But then it was like, okay, that doesn't feel good. Like you want to defend yourself. So how could we defend ourselves? And that's when the connection was made to support a candidate that we then went to you and quote unquote vetted. And I'll get to that in a second. But in that support of a candidate, we were able to redirect all of our energies back to what we went there for in the first place, which was Black Lives Matter, say her name. And we've always been big on voting. We've always been supportive of rock the vote. We're in partnerships with a bunch of different voting. We have t-shirts, the whole nine. We've always been big on voting. And so now we have a chance to put our money where our mouth is and talk about a candidate we feel great about and encourage people to vote. And it just all fell into place. But there obviously was the moment where we want to find the right candidate. And that's where, this is where like, when I tell the story, I'm like, the stars couldn't have aligned. (laughs) So I call Lindsay and I'm Lindsay. This is what I think we need to like be quiet. And I think we need to find it. And I Googled a little bit and, and, and Reverend Warnock's name came up because he actually, without even knowing us or, or anything about us, he, he had already put out a statement being like, this is what she's doing. And this is why she's doing it. Leave the WNBA alone kind of a vibe. And I was like, oh, I like this guy. I like this guy. And then in talking to Lindsay, we find out that you not only are like very good friends with him, but are working with the campaign. Uh, A quick Google showed you that Stacey Abrams and even like Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, like all these people, Vice President Kamala Harris, all these people had already endorsed him. So it was like, okay, this is starting to move in the right direction. And then that leads us to you. Man, that was a conversation. I remember getting that call thinking, here come the kids. It's the cavalry. I'm loving it. And I mean that respectfully. I still feel like you all are my daughters, 144 strong, but I could not have been prouder. And I appreciate that I'm friends with now Senator Warnock. We still call him Reb here in Atlanta. That's a 20 year old thing. I can't get rid of that. But at the end of the day, when I turn on the TV on ESPN and see you guys in vote Warnock t-shirts, like all 32 of my teeth almost fell out. And I heard you were leading that charge too. What made you do that? It was just, we were at a, first of all, fashion. So right now, like, when athletes get off the bus and they walk into the stadium in the arena, like these are moments. These are yeah. moments where it's like before the pandemic, it was just like, oh, what are they wearing? What shoes they have on? Whatever. But right. people are taking note. And there's like the tunnel picture. That's like a thing. 
And what led me to that was we had already discussed opening night and a bunch of other nights, actually, of we want to, walking into the arena, want to have the same shirt on. So the first was the Black players wore We Are Breonna Taylor. The white players wore Say Her Name. And that was like our big moment because that's what our season was. That was the first game, opening night. And then we had different, different days where we wore vote masks. There was different days with the, our Seattle Storm team, like individually, just our team. We had different days where we wore the same shirt and we were organizing all these things. So it really was just like a connection to that where it was like, this is how you make a statement. These statements mm. work. They're nonverbal, yet they're loud as hell. But Sue, it was all coordinated strategy. That's what's so incredible to me. And when I looked up and saw it, and of course, then the New York Times picks it up because I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. But you guys were so impactful in that race. Obviously, we all know the end of the story that you guys helped flip the Senate along with all the people who voted in Georgia and all the organizations on the ground. So you guys didn't just find your voice. You had found your voice before, but it was amplified in a crazy way last summer. More people paying attention to the W perhaps than ever before. And I'm sure that is not what Kelly expected. And one of the things I keep reminding people is the players didn't react. You responded. And there's a distinction with a difference, which is what you always do on the court. But let's talk about your voice and the voice of other Olympians, because I know you got a new project going now, the Focused Media Company. And I want to ask it, like, how did you guys come up with this? Who called who? Because this this theme (laughs) of relationship equity keeps coming up in our conversation. So tell us about Focused Media and what you guys are doing there and who's involved. Yeah, for me, it started with a phone call from Alex Morgan. And it's something that I think it's really her baby. And it's something that I think she was thinking about for a really long time, like years, just the idea that We all know the percentages of women's coverage. It's bad. It's four or 5% in overall media. Recently, something came out on Instagram where it was just like these, even like ESPN and SportsCenter, their Instagram pages, it's only like 3% of women on it. Same with Bleacher Report and so on and so forth. Sports Illustrated, it's in like threes and the fours. It's so low. And for Alex, that's, that was the initial phone call was her just saying, we all know this to be true this is what I want to do about it. I would love for you to be a part of it. And I was like, absolutely. Of course, you got <laughs> to get the ducks in a row, but it was the, just the idea of it was really a no brainer. And I know the same thing for Simone and the same thing for Chloe, for them, no brainer. And then together, which is the name was kind was born. And it's just about pushing women's stories and giving the platform for women's stories to be told. And yes, it's definitely got a sports bent to it, But as we know, sports intersects with so many things, culture, fashion, just like you name it, it's all in one pot. So it's really exciting. It's it's like funny because it's less about us. It's not really about the four of us. It's not our stories that are going to get told. This is our reaction to your point or our response to what has been going on and how, what we can do to help change it. It's about the next generation. It's, it's, it's really not about us. And that to me is like my favorite part. We're just helping. It's going to be part of our legacies in short. Oh, I am so loving that. And the fact that there's 
four of you, that you're all Olympians, that you're all women, that you recognize a problem, that you're not sitting on the sidelines whining about it. You're responding to it in a very positive way. I'm just over the moon. When I saw it, I have six people text me. They're like, your girl, look at your girl. I'm like, hey, yeah, that's the OG. She's leading as always. You have done so much in your life. And I have consistently said, there are two international languages, music and sports. To your point, you don't have to speak a word of any language to appreciate a sporting event or a beautiful piece of music. And sports, the fungible skills you learn are just simply incredible. You've been through a lot. You've traveled the globe. Was there a time in your life where you perhaps had one perspective went through one of those amazing experiences and came through on the other side with a, let's call it an evolved or mature or more enlightened perspective on the other side? Yeah. You pretty much just described my entire Russian experience because I think, yeah, I think as Americans, we're all a little guilty of this at some point where we think America's the best. We must be doing it the best. We're doing it the right way. Everything else is wrong. And again, as a 23, I can't remember, 23 or 24 year old, you, you fall into this, you go to another country you're living and don't get me wrong. There are aspects of comparing that are just fun. Mm-hmm. It's like funny. Oh my God, they do it this way. There's things, <laughs> but there, there, there are like deeper level things that I think that when you go somewhere else and you live in another country and you're fully immersed, it's, you start to realize, oh, like America is great. Listen, our country has issues, but for the most part, it's a great place to live. I'm not trying to move. But you start to realize just because something's different doesn't mean it's worse. Like they do things too. I don't know. Like they have dentists too. And they have doctors (laughs) too. Like you can trust their medicine too. Or like they, whatever, you name it. And I think early on in my experience overseas, I definitely fell into the like comparing mode. Mm -hmm. Everything from maybe not wanting to go see a doctor to, oh my God, this uh, this Coke tastes different. What's going on over here? And everything in between. And, And what I realized was like, that ain't it. That's not a way to live. That's not a way to like approach things. And that's, this is just an example about different cultures and countries, but it really applies to everything. So I'm just, I'm so thankful for that because, you know, not to pat myself on the back, which is so awkward, but I just feel like way more well-rounded. I have less of a judgment in me. I'm not as quick to judge, just way more open-minded, like all of these things. And I think that allows or has allowed me to grow in ways that allows me to be a good leader or has brought out the best in me as a basketball player. And obviously, hopefully as a person as well. Sue Bird, you are a breath of fresh air. As always, I am so impressed with the women of the W, but by far you are one of the tips of the spear. I love watching you play. What's in store for this 20th season for you and the Seattle Storm? Everybody's going to be coming back to the States in May. Drafts in April, of course, but May, the season starts. How are you feeling about the season coming up? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I, we, we're fresh off winning last year, which is great. Oh, everybody's agency. coming for you, Sue. Everybody's yeah, no, coming for you. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like free agency shook our team a little bit. So we essentially lost three of our top, whatever you want to call it, six, seven players, two of which were starters. So that's going to be tough. And the tough part is to what you just said, like teams don't care. You're still the <laughs> be nobody out there. Nobody cares. But it's, it's like putting... A, a puzzle back together again. Yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, but we, we got some great players 
who joined our roster and we're just going to have to figure it out. And the way I look at it, at times when you have the same group, the same team together, there's advantages to that. But like at some point, there are some disadvantages. It can get stale. You can get complacent. It, it doesn't challenge you in a way that it did maybe early on when you were figuring each other out. So it could be good to, to have this shakeup. It's really going to be like a new year, new season. We essentially have a new team. And so that's going to be the challenge for us. And we just have to stay focused on ourselves and not get caught up in like the whole like defending champ thing and letting people <laughs> come steamroll us. Um, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. And it's, it could be my last year. I really don't know. I'm not saying that to like, but it really could. So I'm just trying to enjoy it. It is what it is. I'm just going to enjoy it. Listen, I'm prayerful to watch you in the Olympics. Obviously, it should have <laughs> been. That? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, then there's that. that. Yeah. <laughs> that was supposed to be last year. The pandemic yeah. pushed it into this year. So, yeah, no. Tokyo, we've got our fingers. Yeah. I'm very focused on that as well. Olympics oh. is, is very much part of that. Understood. Listen, you've been dropping some dimes today from authenticity <laughs> and consistency to transparency to your enlightening moment, recognizing that America is not all things to all people all the time and that other cultures not only add value, but those are people too at the end of the day, Absolutely. all the way to rebuilding the team in Seattle. There's some life lessons there too that are fungible. You are dropping dimes <laughs> in a major way. Will you come back and talk to us again? Cause I'm just, I thought I knew everything about you. And every time I talk to you, I learned something new. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully by then I'll be like five-time WBA champ, oh. five-time Olympic gold medalist, and I will have one in an uh, odd year. Oh, there you go. You'll be but breaking that, you breaking that, that paradigm. That. Loving yeah, it soon. On that. One day I noticed that. I can't remember what it was. I was like, oh my God, I've only won in even years. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like Olympics and World Cup, are, they're always in even years. Like it is what it is. So it's like that. I can't. But like WNBA college... I know. It's crazy. Since 2000, you've been doing it like every yeah. even year. It's crazy. The only time was in, in Russia, we, we won EuroLeague in odd years. So that wow. that's where you had your enlightening moment too, was yeah. in Russia. So maybe there's some, some connection. <laughs> Super. Thank you so much. You are a gem. I look forward to having you back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you. All right, everyone, that was this week's episode of Enlightened. I hope you learned something new and feel inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing in life. If you enjoy the energy we're creating here, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the Enlightened community for bonus episodes and deeper discussions at lisaborders.us. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week.